Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a simplistic place so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young Nick's going to play against him and make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tom, Saturday night felt like a uh, sort of a night out drinking, a little bit of a blur. There are a lot of lights and music and some hazy details that we sort of remember back to. But at the end of the day, it was sloppy with 11 penalties or I'm sorry, 21 penalties, almost 200 yards. And I think I left my car in Northport again. Uh, with Tua's injury, like what, what, what was your recollection of the game? Man, I couldn't get past the damn lights. Okay, I, I want you for the listeners that didn't get to go in person. I, I want you to describe this, man. Was it was it all it was cracked up to be? Because apparently that's all the you announcers know, on TV talked about, dude. For like five first ten minutes of the telecast, all they could talk about was the lights. Yeah, I mean that. You know, I thought it was neat. It was there's certainly something different. Uh, it really got the crowd revved up. It was it was an experience unlike. Now, we've been going to Tuscaloosa. We've been going to Bryant-Denny for a long time. It was one of the more unique experiences, uh, you know, with the lights. And they would do the crimson color lights, and then they fade the lights down uh, in, in sections or on the field where it looked like it was dark. And then they'd start to fade it up where you could see, like, the players in the shadow. And then they bring it back up, obviously not during the action but just you know, during the timeouts or during uh, you know breaks in the action or between between the quarters, um, they would sort of pulse it with the the music a little bit, and it was it was really unique. And I think it's going to be. And it's look, we can get into like they had to change out the lights, and so you replace the LED lights, and you sort of get this technology sort of baked in uh, in, in with it. So. I think as more and more stadiums start to have to replace their lights, more and more stadiums will do this. This will be this will be the norm. And if we were if we're a year or two ahead of that trend, then that's great. I think next year there'll be 
you know, five or six or eight teams that are, that are, that are doing this. Uh, I thought it was really, really cool. It really sort of got, you know, there was a lot of sort of pent up in, you know, excitement and, and enthusiasm for it. And if you're not in that camp, that's great. Uh, but I think, I think it did sort of roll up the crowd a little bit. And I thought it was an, a, a unique, neat experience, sort of giving the fans something that's unique and different, you know, for, for coming out to the stadium. And look, this has been new to, news articles, not just Alabama, but sports in general, that live sports, the attendance is is diminishing and that stadiums are looking for things to to bring a level of energy and excitement so that fans want to come to the games. And Alabama is a little bit insulated by that because we have such a, a large, you know, fan base and passionate fan base. However, if if we can put a carrot at the end of the stick, then we should do that. And I think we did, and I thought it was cool. All right, man. Well, I uh I appreciate you sharing that for the listeners. Like, you know, we as we as we start with offense, um, we have to start with the you know, the the main story of the day. Uh Tua Taglavoa uh, you know, uh getting injured again. And so, you know, Tua just underwent, you know, his second tightrope procedure on Sunday morning uh, on the other ankle. Uh, talk to me about uh, being there when this happened and, and obviously him leaving with six minutes left in the half. Um, you know, here he is having to go through this again with the other, with the other ankle. Well, yeah, I, I, and, and something that I've probably intentionally not, you know, brought up in, in the podcast this season is I've always had, and this was true last season, especially when he started getting up every time he would hit the ground, you just sort of pause a beat and wait to see if he's going to get back up and then, and it's where exhale. And so all season, um, all season, I've kind of wondered, is that going to happen again? Is that going to happen again? And there's, there's almost sort of a defeatist part of me that said, it's not if it's when, when is this going to happen again? And I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I don't think it's anything that 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 he is doing. But I just I, there there was almost an air of expectancy that I had. I can't speak for you know for other fans. And then there was a little bit of um, it happened sort of bang bang at the sideline, and then he went out. And that next snap, and that next snap, you're almost like, wait a second, wait a second, that's Mac in there at quarterback. What just happened? Um, and I'm sure there are other fans that saw it probably, you know, a beat before I did, but when I saw Mac in there, um, and then you could tell the people around where I was sitting, they didn't immediately notice it either. And I was like, wait a second, that's Mac Jones. And, and then you hear like Mac Jones, Mac Jones, sort of the, the ripple of as people were sort of, you know, identifying that. So that was sort of the experience in, in the stadium, probably TV picked it up a little bit, you know, earlier than that. Uh, but that's sort of my thought is. All right, let's get this this very quickly. Understand what's happening. When's he going to come back? Because, um, because I don't want to overplay it, but I overstate it. But when when truly you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, um, it does impact you know the tenor of the balance of the season. And so, those are some of my sort of quick thoughts. Well, being being at home, uh, unfortunately for the game, uh, I did uh, have the benefit of them picking up on it very quickly. Um, showing the uh, replays, um, you know, with all the camera angles they have now, finding exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. so, you know, last week we talked about, you know, Bama fans enjoy this guy because if he leaves after this year, 
he might go down as, you know, one of the best college quarterbacks, definitely one of, you know, maybe the best quarterback stats wise uh, who have ever played the game at the University of Alabama. So all that is obviously the case. Um, I'm going to tell you that Peyton Manning, who chose to came back, you know, chose to come back for a senior year. Um, Peyton Manning did not have the mobility of a Tua, right? Peyton's a very good quarterback for a long time, made a lot of money in the NFL. What Peyton was really good at is when it was time to go down, he went down. And he didn't just go down. He went down kind of in a ball, like he protected himself when he went Mm -hmm. down. And now you see NFL quarterbacks who they don't take, you know, very, very rarely do you see an NFL quarterback take a hard sack. They see it coming. They just, they just kind of fold their body down and they're almost going down to the ground before the guys hit them. And so I say that to tell you that when you go back and watch the replay as the TV did like 10 times, you know, it's easy for me to be the armchair quarterback sitting there having my beer watching the game. But the fact that Tua has already had one injury on the other ankle, um, obviously he can't be blamed for what happened. But when you go back and watch the replay, I think the reason it happened is because he tried to step out of the sack and he tried to he he basically tried to high step out of it so he could extend the play and either run or throw the ball. And I mm-hmm. think and and here you've got a 320 pound man who is horizontal on the ground, right? And he's grabbing at his ankles because that's all he could get. And so I think had Tua just went down, man, it wouldn't have happened. He just would have had a sack. Yeah. And so, like I said, I'm not blaming him. I, I I wasn't able to play at his high level. Obviously, you know, he's done a lot of great things. But if I'm a guy who's already had this one time, then in that situation, and I'm projected to be the number one player in the draft next year, right? I'm not saying you 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 don't be, you know, do what you do. But... Somebody should have told him, look, dude, you're important to this football team. We got a lot of faith in Mac Jones, next man up, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if you're in a situation where you're about to go down, then go down. Just freaking go down. And so I think had he not tried to step out of it, I think he would have never hurt his ankle. I think some of the critical things in life happen in in the gray areas, right? And so we've seen Tua, you know, if if they're flooding the A gap and there's no escape, we've seen him collapse like a like a chair, right? And and you go down like just like you said, like you, you know, you you crouch, you bend your knees, you go down, you know, there's there there's no movable uh uh you know, there's no movable joints that are going to bend the wrong way because I'm folding down, I'm collapsing. I'm like I'm like one of those tailgate chairs that just fold up and then you go down. And nothing gets hurt, nothing gets broken. Everything just now we can play the next play. And we've seen Tua do that. And so it's not like he doesn't do that. We've also seen and damn it, this is part of what we really like about him is his escapability. Let's go back to the national title game against Georgia. Let's go back to that that same season in in, you know, 16 when, you know, the pirouette in the pocket in a phone booth, you know, he created uh, against Vanderbilt the freedom uh, to, to uh, evade, turn, throw the ball against, the, you know, again, against Georgia and the national. Some of his elusiveness there was just, I mean, he's like layered in Crisco or something. And and so that is part of the two of magic. Um, at least that's sort of the genesis of, of the legend. And he does have escapability. He does have 
and he's not Jalen Hurts with his with his running ability, but he is but he is a good runner. And so there's a little bit of when you know you're going down, go down. When you know you can get away, get away. What do you do when it's in the middle? And and there's you know you go down. the better you are at getting away, the bigger the gray area is. And so I think that was a little bit of gray area because he was running out, looked like he was about to throw, and. And his competitive instinct is, I can shed this guy. And he's right a lot of times, and he wasn't right Saturday. And that's, that's I mean, I don't, I'm not saying your point's wrong. I'm just saying, you know, if you overcorrect, and then you just go down every time, and then, then that doesn't help the team either. No, that's fair. But what I am saying is, is it was first and 10 at the 21-yard line. There's seven minutes left in the second quarter. You should be mm-hmm. up. You should be up right now. Um, you should be up right now, uh, twenty-eight to three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Granted, the interception is a whole other thing we can talk about, but it goes back to taking what the. I guess my point is, is you you've kind of done what you wanted to in this game. I mean, you're not playing, you know, Tennessee of old, dude. They were two and four coming into this game, right? They didn't have mm-hmm. the horses. So you had started off with a touchdown in your opening drive. You should have had a touchdown on the second uh, drive, but you made a poor decision because you tried to put the ball through the keyhole, which was his fault. Yep. And so then you you score another yep. touchdown, you score another touchdown. So right now, it should be 28 points on the board, but even though it's not, it's 21 to 10, first and 10 at the 21, okay? Dude, they only had two sacks on the day. So they got to Mac Jones one time the rest of the game. This was the only time they got mm-hmm. to Tua. My point is, when you say the gray area, he's got to know on first and 10 at the 21, when I went to my fourth progression, my fourth read, right, and they weren't there, just sell the ball out of bounds. Line up for second and 10 at the 21. You, I mean, my, yeah. I guess my point is, you, you have basically done everything you wanted to do. You have scored a touch, should have had a touchdown on all four of your prior drives to start the game. You're halfway through the second quarter. Dude, you haven't thrown an incompletion yet. Just throw the ball away. That's that's just him being too competitive there. Because the bigger picture right now is they can spin it and they can say that you know he won't play for Arkansas and they can spin it. It'll be twenty days until LSU versus twenty nine days last year against Oklahoma. But mm-hmm. this guy's not going to be effective the way he needs to be against LSU. And there's just too much on the line for one pass to just throw the damn ball away. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So I, I am, I'm in, I'm in this, I'm in this position. I'm in this place where on paper, I understand what you're saying. And on paper, I kind of agree with what you're saying. And then in, in hindsight, I, I mean, I, yeah, I wish he had taken a knee on the play. Right. And so there's a little bit of, I don't want to, I don't want to, overanalyze retrospectively how he could have avoided the injury, which which is a little different than critiquing his style of play, right? And so there's a little bit, and those start to look and sound like the same thing, uh, but there is, there is a, a nuance of difference. And I find myself sort of maybe straddling that fence of, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, you know, and you know, another thought as well. And I, I agree that the interception was all his, right? And that's two weeks in a row that he's thrown yeah, after going, you know, the season without an interception. Uh, you know, this is two weeks in a row that he's thrown the ball 
uh, in the, you know, an interception in the end zone. And we had a, we had a, a listener and maybe this is all the same ball of wax, but, uh, but we had a listener, um, you know, not Nacho Alabama, uh, sort of text us and, and say, you know, if we're looking for silver linings here and I'm paraphrasing his thought, but you know, if we're looking for silver linings here, you know, Tua is no longer, you know, potentially no longer competing for the Heisman. And so maybe that junk sort of gets out of his head and he can play with a little more clarity about, you know, for the, for the national title. Now he's got to come back healthy and all of that. And so is he trying to force things in the end zone because he's trying to compete with, you know, touchdowns that Jalen Hurts are, are putting up or that someone else is, or that he needs to sort of live up to this persona rather than, and, and maybe sometimes, you know, gunslinger is, is sort of in his DNA. The fact that this season he has more than last season sort of taken what the defense gives, that is great. But sometimes you're going to revert back to. And so I think those picks in the end zone are that. And maybe this scramble is, is a little bit of that too. Let me look at that third, fourth, but not give up on the play, but not give up on the play. And, and, and rather than just, you know, throw it out of bounds and, and, and be done. And there's a little bit of gray area that's like, well, when would he have thrown it out of bounds and not still gotten tackled? And I don't know the answer to that question either. So these are all interesting topics. I'm not going to give you a conclusive sort of thought on it because I don't know that I have one. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And like I said, I don't categorically disagree with you. I think there's a gray area that, that, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's more exciting if I would no, <laughs> no, no, argue no, no. With you over it. No, dude, all, all the rules are protecting the quarterbacks now with his quick release. Had he just zipped the ball away, the guy wouldn't have been able to hit him or it would have been a rough in the passer penalty. And so there's been numerous times this season, I mean, I mean, heck, just a couple games ago, right? He had a blitz right of, right in his face. The guy was coming at him full force. But because he was able to, you know, do the RPO so quickly and release the ball, the guy had to run right by mm-hmm. him and couldn't hit him. I mean, he literally threw the ball on that touchdown to Devonta Smith a couple weeks ago. The guy was like barreling down, like like literally right in front of him. But you can't take more than two steps after the ball is released. So I'm just saying, had he thrown right. the ball away, the guy wouldn't have been able to hit him. And so, you know, it's just, it, it, it's hindsight 2020. It's easy for me to say this. I'm just saying when you're the number one team in the country and you're trying to win a title uh, and you're trying to, you know, there's just so much riding on your shoulders. You got all these weapons around you, yeah. but I'm sorry. The offense just doesn't run. This It's not going to run the same way with Mac Jones. So that's all I'm saying. No, that's fair. Let's talk about the offensive line real quick. I thought it was an interesting situation that Landon Dickerson, or not interesting, it wasn't surprising to me that the TV guys were talking about the fact that Chris Owens would would have been able to go in this game, and he even came in with a a tight end number uh, later in the game. And the fact that Landon Dickerson was at center again, man, didn't surprise me uh, for what we talked about last week. I mean, there was a couple times, man, where he, he, he went to help Deontay Brown uh, he went to help Deontay Brown on like a double team. And because Deontay Brown was just owning his man, Landon Dickerson like had nothing to do. He's like, oh, well, I was trying to help you, but you're you're killing your man by yourself. So now let me go see if I can find somebody else to block. And and just the the running between the tackles, which you know I love, you know, allowed Najee to get, you know, his second 100-yard game in a row and his third in the last five. Um, no offense to Chris Owens, but I, I really like seeing Landon back out there at center. Well, it's it's one of those things, and 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 look, sort of, I, you know, I'll give hats off to you again. It's 
we're seeing the offensive line that that you forecasted uh in specifically you know we talked about well what does it look like when Deontay comes back and and you know without missing a beat you said we move Landon down the, the center almost like why would we even ask that question and maybe that's partly because uh you know, all of the sort of stories about Landon's versatility. Maybe that's partly because we'd seen him play in New Mexico State. Maybe that's partly, you know, for, for other reasons too. But sort of right off the bat, you know, your thought was no, Landon moves to center and and I and and I thought, well, he's not sort of a, a center, you know, in his in his history. And center is a uniquely a unique position. So I was maybe slow uh I was maybe slow on that. But but once that started to happen you know, I think we both have agreed this is the line. This is what it is. And, uh, and, and look, you want to give, I'm not mad at Chris Owens, uh, props to Chris Owens. The fact that, that he came in wearing number 84 and lining up at the, at a tight end position only just underscores. And in fact, it underscores a couple of things. It only, it underscores certainly that he's healthy. It underscores that he's healthy and he's not going to play center. Uh, and, and it underscores that, you know, Saban's respect for the individual uh, the contribution. And so we're going to look, we're going to have a role for you. It's just going to be different. And then I'll throw out, and we talked about this last week, the depth across the offensive line. Tommy, we've got, you know, 84 and 85 are offensive linemen that are now, you know, renumbered as, as tight ends. Um, we know that tight end was a position of, call it weakness, or certainly not a lot of depth. But how many years of, how many years, and the answer is none, that we have had two <laughs> offensive linemen that not that we can just roll out there, but we can renumber them as tight ends and, and say, you know, <laughs> Jeff Banks, you can have them in your room because we got, we're good over here. You don't see that. No, that just, that just shows you the the depth that we do have. Um, what did you think of the fact that when Evan did go down, uh, it probably did not surprise you that, that Emil was the next man up. Um, at left guard, redshirt freshman. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. I've I've heard that he, you know, I mean, he started a game earlier in the season, and so he w- truly was, I think, sort of the next man up. Um, it really sort of, yeah, there was a moment where it's like, damn it, we had just settled the line, we had just settled this. Now we've got somebody going down, and so now how do you sort of resettle this? And you know, and. It's like, well, we're not going to do it today because Chris Owens is over here at tight end, but are we going to see him back at center and, and Landon and Deontay sort of switch? And at least at least there's an answer to the question. Uh, but in that moment, it was going to be Ekior because that's what we had, and he's been competing at, at that position. And, and when we talk about the depth and going eight or nine deep, he's in that list. And so, you know, no one's mad at Ekior. Uh, but the fact that Evan was able to come back was a little bit of sigh of relief because I just think, I like the way the line has settled out. I like that we have depth and versatility. That doesn't mean we have to use it because I like our front five. Um, and so I was glad to see him come back. And I have not seen or read anything, and maybe TV talked about it, anything specific around what the injury was. But the fact that he looked like it was going to be serious and he was back, you know, the next series playing is just sort of a, a big exhale, exhale and, and let's move on and, and let's let this line get some more reps together because they're only going to get better. But I did think when Emil was in there, uh, he actually looked pretty good, you know, and, and he, yeah. he, he jumped right in and, and, you know, 
how many day, you know, how many times in years of old would we have a backup come in and, and now it's an Olay, right? And there's a big play yep. in the by the defense. So uh I thought that was good kind of deal. Um what what jumped Absolutely. out at what jumped out at you uh, on offense that you want to talk about? I mean, there's a couple sort of just, you know, a couple of topical things, but, you know, just following hand in hand in glove with the offensive line, I thought the running backs uh, looked really good. I wish I could quote Saban specifically, uh, but one of the comments that he made is the uh, the offensive line. Uh, what did he say? He was talking about the running backs first. He said, you know, the running backs uh, were running with regression. They were hitting the hole and the offensive line was uh, was providing the push. And, and and he he said it more eloquently than I could, but but you, if you could tattoo that on your forehead, that's what we've been looking for, you know, for the last you know two months. And so the fact that you know even you know even the big guy came you know came in and said we're getting what we want out of this, that has to make everyone feel good. And the fact that that continued, that that sustained even after Tua was out, because you have to think, well, let's stack the box now because they're gonna you know Alabama's gonna run the ball. And so the fact that we still had success at that, even after now, you know, there's a multiplier effect. It gets better and easier and bigger and and cooler when two is in there slinging. But the fact that when I want to say we didn't have an option because I'm not pooing everybody, but when the defense, you know, mid game, how much adjustment can you make? And so mid game, when you realize the focus is going to be now the run game, that we were still able to execute the run game. That's very satisfying. No, it is, and it is, um, it is surprising. Well, I guess not surprising. Surprising is the wrong word, but it helped that they continued to let you know Mac Jones throw the ball. Obviously, he attempted eleven pa- uh, attempted eleven passes. Yes, you know, he he had a couple, you know, right there when he came in that just that really just didn't look good. Um, uh, where he just underthrew the you know the receiver, uh, you know, just some couple bad passes to, to Jerry Judy kind of deal. Right. Um, it seemed like the personal foul call on Daryl Taylor, uh, on the pivotal, on the pivotal third and 10, uh, you know, in the second half there, when, when, when he was able to, (laughs) to engineer that touchdown drive, you know, that was, that was key because it was, it was 21 10 there. And, you know, we're third and 10 at our 24 yard line. You know, looking back at the call, um, I think they're trying to take that whole that crap out of the game because he did lay yes. on him a lot. Uh, he did kind of shove him down and use him to lift himself up. You know, at, well after the play when he sat there, I think he was trying to intimidate yep. Mac Jones and send a message and be like, "Hey, we're coming back for you." And so the non-Bama fans going to say, "Oh, you got home cooking. You got a call." Um, but I'm going to say that if, if Anthony Jennings did that to a quarterback on the other team, I'd want him to get flagged too, because, you know, make make the play, get up, but you don't have to sit there and lay on the guy and, and, and shove him down when you get up. I don't, I know it's a little, it is football and I don't like them to over officiate, but I was okay with the call. I think, I think you're right. And I think if you, you know, first of all, let's take home cooking, right? You know. Tennessee had 13 flags. Alabama had eight. Um, their their second <laughs> Tennessee's second leading quarterback was pass interference on Alabama, you know, defenders. Right. 
And so, and, and I don't think any of those were catchable balls. And so let's be realistic here on, on sort of the back and forth and, and who got sort of job. There were 21 penalties in the game, almost 200 yards. I think everybody sort of had a bad day uh, flag wise, uh, including even the officials. Um, I think you're spot on. I think the, and then so late hit is, is sort of how this is branded. I don't think the hit, and I, you're saying the same thing. I don't think the hit is what got the flag. That's a, you know, and so they watched the replay on, on, in the stadium. I was like, ah, I don't know. That should have been flagged. And I mean, I, I will be the beneficiary of this, but that shouldn't have been flagged. And it was the stuff and they didn't show it in the replay in the stadium, but you're exactly right. When he went up and he, and he, he shove, I don't know if that's too strong of a word, but he definitely was, was in that. And here, here's, here's, and what you said is exactly right. That's the kind of stuff they're trying to take out of the game. And I'm okay with taking that out of the game. Don't flag the hit, but let's get this sort of jerky stuff out of the game. Let's do that. And 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 so there's there's a little bit, and I can go either way on this. There's a little bit of say something to them. That doesn't have to be flagged, but if if it's if there's a risk of this being chippy, then you flag it. And and I can see that sort of going either way. I agree. If Anthony Jennings had been, and I'm not mad at Anthony, but to you know to pick a defensive player. If name the game, name the opponent, whatever, if he had done that, I would look at it and say, I could see where that could not be flagged. And I can't get mad that it was flagged. And so if that had happened to us, I wouldn't like it. I would understand it. And so when it goes the other way, you know, that's how that plays out. And so I think you and I land the same page on that one. And it was critical. That was critical to. Yeah. And when you go back and watch the replay, the guy, like if you're laying on a bed, right? He was using Mac as the bed, and he was laying on him. No, the offensive lineman should have yep. come over and got him off quicker. He literally laid there a couple minutes and just laid on top of Mac Jones. And then he sat there and put yeah. both hands on his back, and he used him to push him into the ground to p- pull himself up. And that's why the head official called uh, unsportsmanlike conduct personal foul. And so right. that's what got it. Like you said, I mean, he literally just laid on him and just sat there and said, okay, I'm going to intimidate you kind of deal. And so, but what I find. What we'll never know is what he was saying. Correct. And the official may have heard some of that too. No, that's fair. Now what's key, you talk about the running game and this goes back to Landon being in the game. And this goes back to to Deontay Brown being back. Okay. Because this Bama team was not running the ball. Okay. So I want you to go back to how the line was doing at the beginning of the season. You imagine that line, how they were running the ball or lack thereof, and it was 21 to 10, right? And even though you get that call, now it's first and 10 at the 39-yard line. How we were running the ball a few weeks ago, we punt the ball there up 21 to 10, and now it's still a ball game. So what I find interesting, when you go back and look at the play calls for the listener, Right after that, first and 10 at the 39, Najee run for five yards. Second and five, Najee run for three yards. Third and two, Najee run for 12 yards, right? And so then we had three straight running plays where we, you know, Najee sat there and got us 20 yards on the next three plays. And then we come back to Mac, which was critical on first and 10 at the 41 we let him throw a pass, and he completes it to Devonta Smith for 18 yards. Now we're at the 23 first down. There's a couple of things for the listener that's key yep. here. Number one, we were able to go put the load on Najee 
and the offensive line and say, our quarterback is shaken up. He just got cussed at on the field. No telling what he got said to. He just got laid on. He just got intimidated. Now we're going to go and we're going to pop him in the mouth. And we're going to pop him in the mouth three plays in a row. Then Devonta Mm -hmm. Smith, who had missed the first half, who's back in the second half, who we've talked about is probably the best-handed wide receiver we have. I don't think it's Mm -hmm. a mistake that the pass went to Devonta Smith four plays later when we were trying to show him again that we're not just going to be one-dimensional. I think all those things happened on purpose. Those, Those four plays in that game were critical to the outcome of this ballgame. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think Mac Jones, if you look at his numbers, and, and, and uh, you know, this is the same sort of conversational loop, you know, he was 6 of 11, and he's like, eh, yeah, that's almost 50%. I, you know, those numbers aren't that good. The fact is he came in cold early throwing and, you know, literally had not warmed up. And so he, you know, and so there's a little bit, and that's just a real thing. I'm sorry. And so... You know, and I'm not trying to be revisionist history, but stats tell part of the story, and then the story tells part of the story. And so I'm willing to I'm willing to discount, you know, two. It, you know, if we're running Dave's thrift shop, I'm giving Mac a two incompletion discount uh, on his day, and and I look at his numbers more six of nine, and that starts to be more realistic, and that starts to be more representative. And then so you say we're going to still throw the ball because you know. We've got the weapons, and we're going to keep the defense honest. I I like I like sort of the package deal there, and and also to your point, in 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 this moment, we're still going to pass the ball. We're still gonna we're still going to do those things, but we're going to take a moment here, and we're going to run some clock, and we're going to run some ball, and we're going to put this on the backs of the offense uh, offensive line in the running game, but we're also still going to allow you know Mac the opportunity. Uh, to to get his wits about him and throw the ball down the field. And that is what I'm probably most optimistic for. And I know it's one game, it's Arkansas, uh, but in sort of flipping you know forward a little bit, Mac being the starting quarterback all week, the prep, tailoring of the game plan and offense to his strengths and not to his strengths. Um, I think I think that's I think we'll see a different Mac uh this next week. Oh, sure. Whenever we face Arkansas, it will be. And obviously, Tennessee's a tough game. It's always a tough game, right? I mean, it is. It, it's always, you know, there's a reason they've played each other 102 times now. And so the very next pass attempt, he completed to Henry Ruggs, okay? Um, and, and, that, and, and they let him throw there. The next time he threw the ball, it was second and 14 at, the 20, at Alabama's 25. So my point there right. is, is you're letting him drop back on second and 14 from your own 25-yard line on the next series. So that that shows you that, you know, they were trying to say, hey, guys, we, we can still throw the ball. Um, the very next play, real quick, I want to talk about, because then it was third and six at the 33, and Mac Jones went through his progressions, and then he scrambled. And I want to quickly get your take mm-hmm. on the fact that, you know, they they made a big deal of, well, they replayed this a couple times on the, on the TV that he ran for four yards on third and six. He basically slid. If he would have put his head in there, mm-hmm. I think he probably, probably could have got a first down. But I'm going to tell you, and, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit here, I think in a, in a blink second, Mac Jones said, hey, two is out hurt. I'm in now cold. 
we're up 28 to 13. I don't need to try to get this first down and get knocked out of the game. I'm just going to slide in. Even if I, even if I end up short, we're just going to punt the ball. I just thought that was a great decision on him at the end of the game. He was like, we're up 28-13, dude. I, okay. Oh, well, y'all got me. Let's punt it. I think you're right. Um, I think I, I, probably, I probably don't give him that much credit on that play. Uh, and, and again, it's not that you're wrong. Sure. I just look at it a little differently. Uh, I look at it from, from the perspective of, um, you know, we've all heard the expression, the game slows down. And the more reps you get, the more playing time you get, the, you know, the game does slow down. And when it slows down, there's a texture to the game that a quarterback and any player really can start to, to feel and appreciate and identify that if you're running out there and just over sort of frenetic in your own, in your own head, you don't, you don't have that nuance. And so when when and I didn't I haven't heard the commentator say this, but the types of things that commentators say is you got to know where you are on the field. And, and that's not an untrue statement, but there's also some context to that. And so you're going to give me a quarterback like Tua as a comparison that's, you know, that's a two year starter and has had, you know, the time on the field. And, and let's call it the game has slowed down for him. And so he has a relative sense of comfort. Well, then, yes, he probably should. Uh, he he probably should know where the line of scrimmage is, but that's like you driving a car versus, you know, a sixteen-year-old kid driving a car. There, it's you know, there's a little bit of sort of overload in what you're trying to do, and I can't just exhale and and absorb everything. I've I'm like in my mental mental mind running the checklist, the driver's ed checklist of ten and two. Watch my speed. Watch the rearview mirror. Watch the side mirror. Watch the front. Watch my speed. And so you're doing this mental sort of cycle thing that you and I, we don't do that. Like we do it, but we don't think about it while we're driving a car. When you're a new driver, like you are consciously thinking through that. And and a little bit of nuance around, is that the first down, the 33 or the 34? I don't know. I'm about to get hit. I'm going to slide. <laughs> and, and, and I just think, I just think that's just above too much to ask. No, that's fair. And so I lo- I think it's more of that as opposed to him making the conscious decision because frankly that's just one more thing that he's having to think about and I just think in that moment he's not thinking about anything then I I I don't want to get clocked. I want to protect the ball and then, and then we'll you know the officials will tell us. No, that's fair. Um what else do you have on offense before we do mini game balls? Did you see Slay Bolden? Well, yes. Like where's Slay? <laughs> yes, it's kind of like the where's it's kind of like the where's Waldo episode, and and I was gonna that's say, right. Where was Slay, Tommy? I was gonna save him for the mini game ball. Um, and so do you think uh, they do you think they brought that wrinkle out that they had in their in their back pocket just because like do you feel like they felt like they needed to bring that out in that situation just to kind of go up by two scores? Like, I, I think that play's been in the works, and I think they were going to – if Tua doesn't get hurt, I don't think we see that play. Well, I don't think we need to see it, but yes, I agree with that. Here's what I like about and, – and, and I was able to go back, and, and it was actually on a, a, on a loop on ESPN, so I was able to see that, that play a couple more times really, you know, really quickly. Um, and so in the stadium, you know, you see him in there, and it's sort of bang, bang, and it almost looked like – a Tebow jump pass uh, just right over the line. 
And then I started looking at the the stats on that. I was like, well, wait a second. That's a six yard touchdown pass, not a not a two yard touchdown pass. So that, you know, duh, that just means he's farther away from the end zone. But what it tells me or what it told me is, well, that's not just a jump pass. That's not just jumping and sort of throw, you know, that's um, there's there's a little more. And so watching it again, he actually took the ball and took a couple steps like he's been doing with the wild card and then planted his foot and, and threw, I won't say across his body because that's a negative connotation, but threw, you know, back in the other direction where, you know, Forstall was was cutting across. And so, yes, I think absolutely that's a design play. I think absolutely when he takes the ball and he's taking that, and, and it's almost RPO. It's almost if the forestall comes out and he's clean, then you plant that foot and you throw the ball. If he's not, then you just keep running. And so I, I do think that wasn't just go in there and do this one thing, this like the Arkansas punter did a very stupid thing, right? It wasn't that. There was a little bit of sort of thought in it, and you could give – I think you could give that to Slade Bolden because he's got, we've talked about it. I think he has sort of the capacity for it. And I do think now they probably have practiced it a hundred times and he's never had the green light to throw it. And I think they said, you know, whatever you name that play, they said, you know, go run tango and you're green. (laughs) You know, I just think that's how they did that. And, um, and so it's probably the same play that he's run you know, every time, but this time he was green on the pass. Uh, well, and yes, I think we intentionally did that to give a little bit of a wrinkle that Tennessee wasn't prepared for. And because, hey, if we get a cheap touchdown here, that's fine. Well, I think right there we're trying to put the game away. And obviously we talked about his background as a quarterback, you know, and, and how prolific as a passer he was, you know, in high school. And so, you know, here's the guy when he when he has been in the Wildcat, you know, they they've brought him in in a couple, you know, critical you know, short yardage plays. And, and, um, this is the same guy for the listeners that, you know, has already blocked a punt on the season. And so, um, this little, this little spark plug is, is getting, you know, he, he's, (laughs) he's sticking his nose in the, in the scrum whenever they let him. And, uh, to his credit, you know, he's getting a lot of opportunities. I mean, how many people can say they've thrown a touchdown pass? They've ran fourth and one from the wildcat at midfield and they've blocked a punt. I mean, there are former Bama players that if they could have those three things to say about their career would be ecstatic. And he's done three of these halfway through the season. So we, we might have right. to we might have to come up with a where Slade segment for sure. No, I think we definitely should. And I th- somewhere baked into that. I'm not sure the exact wording of the question, but some here baked some somewhere sort of nested in this is is a trivia question. Or where the answer is, you know, Tua didn't have a touchdown, but Slade did. Yes. No, absolutely. Well, give me give me your main mini game ball. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna get. I, I guess first of all, I will go ahead since since, you, since that was gonna be my mini game ball, and I'm just gonna talk about. I loved. Um, I loved in the short yardage on the goal line, and maybe part of this is just because of our confidence uh, in uh, uh, our confidence in in the running game and 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 showing that we can run the ball, but. I enjoyed the multiple formations that we did uh, early in the game when Najee scored on that short yardage play, um, where we had uh, we had the jumbo package in and we had the three tight ends and we uh, we sat there with Miller Forstall and we had Major Tennyson and we had Chandler and then we actually 
brought Cahoe in uh, at fullback. Now Cahoe missed his at fullback. Yeah, he missed yep. his block. Uh, so so he needs to do better on that next time. But that was just interesting. Um, in the short yardage in this game, Dave. One time we had Brian Robinson lined up at fullback and Najee behind him, and Brian took a fake handoff as a dive, and and Najee went out, you know, like he was going to get a pitch. And so we saw Brian and Najee in the game in a short yardage together, and then we saw Keho and these three tight ends. I just, you know, kudos to Steve Sar- Sarkeesian. I mean, he he gave him a lot of looks there in the short yardage, and I enjoyed seeing that jumbo package with Chandler in there again. So, so who are you giving your mini game? I'm giving it to Chandler, man. I'm giving it to Chandler. I know Chandler. it wasn't obvious who I was giving it to, but I'm giving it to Chandler because we we have always needed to be able to come in in that in that that three tight end look, and um, he he's getting some playing time uh for that. He came in. I, I noticed him three or four times in this ball game where he was in uh you know in key situations, and j- just kudos for him for. For, you know, just like we talked about Chris Owens coming in at, you know, wearing the tight end number and, you know, Emil getting his chance when Neil, you know, when Evan Neal was banged up. I just love seeing all these linemen on the field, man. We're getting them game experience and, and we're just we're just manufacturing, you know, bulk. I just love that. It's awesome. Can, I'm going to embarrass myself. Who, who when you say Chandler, who are you? T- I'm that name is. Not resonating with me. No, no, I'm just referring to the to the offensive lineman that we've talked about before, uh, who's had the opportunity. 85. Yes, who's had the opportunity to come in and and and, okay. and get some okay. significant. I mean, last week I, I unfortunately called him number 85, and I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and you corrected me there. So yeah, man, we had another number 85 uh, sighting, and uh, we had we had that sighting two or three times, and that was awesome. Okay, 85, Kendall Ru- Rudolph. Yes, correct. Okay, awesome. So, so I've got two things before I get to mini game ball, and I'm going to wreck mini game ball worse than Tommy ever has. Okay, go ahead. How's that? It's awesome. All right. So, so this is it, when you were talking about Ali Keho lining up at at uh, fullback. That reminded me earlier this season. Now we record this Monday morning. This will be in. This will be in a press conference Monday afternoon. So I have to, I have to tie, I wish I could hold up a newspaper like a hostage does like proof of life to prove that we're saying this before it comes out Monday afternoon. Um, when you said Ali Keho in at fullback, that reminded me of a game earlier this season and you're going to go aha before I finish. When that was done, when Ali Keho lined up at fullback earlier this season, the commentator said, that's an interesting formation. That's Mac Jones in there at fullback. It's like, no, it's not Mac Jones in at fullback. We have two guys that wear number 10, Mac Jones and Ali Keho. Yes. Does Ali Keho change his number Monday afternoon? So next week we don't against Arkansas, we don't lose the opportunity to play him at fullback. I think he does change the number in the short term. Yes. All right. That's some cool stuff there, right? It is cool stuff, man. You won't hear that anywhere else but the Alabama football podcast. What's well, your, at least what? not until it's breaking news this afternoon. And then, and then there'll be 13 articles tomorrow around why that's a good idea. All right, so what's your other one before mini game ball? So my other one before mini game ball, and we talked about the interception, and we talked about Tua, and, and like this probably is mini game ball worthy, but I'm going to wreck the game ball even worse. Um, so Tua's interception, 
in the front of the end zone, go back. It's worth the price of admission to watch that interception and watch who makes the tackle on that play. The pass is to Ruggs, who's in the back of the end zone. The interception is in the front of the end zone. And then Waddle is running a little curl, and so he's sort of mid-end zone, but a third of the field in. Waddle and Ruggs chase down and make the tackle. The speed, we've seen them like, damn, they're fast when they're just on a breakaway reception. The A true demonstration of speed is them chasing down a DB. It's not a linebacker. It's not a 300-pounder. It's not, you know, fat man touchdown run. It is a DB that they chase down. They reel him in. It's, it's, I mean, it's an, it, I know Tennessee goes on to score. I know it's an interception. I know there's a, a lot not to like there, but when you just like show me how fast they are, that's how fast they are. And Waddle or Rugs even had to sidestep an official that was trying to, you know, like not technically trying, but like was in position to box him out. He even had to sidestep the official to track him down and make the tackle. And if he didn't, Waddle was just right there. Rugs just beat him to it. And, that was an impressive demonstration of speed. The fact that they just reeled him in from five, six, eight yards, uh, a head start, another DB. It's just amazing. That's, that is up there with, in terms of just the raw athleticism, chasing someone's ass down, that's up there with Langham. Well, and that just goes to show you that grittiness, right, that they both play with. It wouldn't surprise me that you say the two players are Waddle and Riggs because – no offense right, to the other right, guys, right. but look how they play the game, right? Yeah. They need to they need to have both of them. Okay. We, we we might see that, right? We might see that at the NFL draft. We we might see that that uh video clip yes. deal. Yes. All right, give me your mini game ball before we go to defense. All right, so my mini game ball, like if like if I I'm gonna roll around and slather myself in the tomness of breaking the mini game ball. My offensive mini game ball goes to Ty uh, Pirine, the punter, who averaged forty six and a half yards on his punts with a with a punts with a long of fifty one. He gets my offensive game ball. So he gets your game ball just because you wanted to call him out, and we don't have a mini game ball yes. for special teams. Okay, I am giving Ty Pirine my offensive mini game ball. Well, um, it is it is very telling. Um, that when Will Reichard, who who did not uh, have any problem in warmups, uh, when he seemed to aggravate uh, his uh, uh, re-injure himself on that on that one punt, uh, it is interesting that that this walk on who you can't even find on most roster sheets if you look for him, um, got his number called uh, in that situation, and so the guy who's probably scratching his head is is. Um, uh, the guy who the guy who's currently scratching his head on this one um, is the other, you know, is the other punter on the team, and so you it makes you wonder what you know. What do you think Scholar DeLong was thinking in that situation? Well, I you know I went back and listened to our show last week, and you know pat ourselves on the back or whatever. But our special team segment was last week was the content was as good as it gets and like the entertainment value of us just ribbing back and forth and, and talking about the, the the special team situation, that's as good as our podcast gets. And we made the comment 
that um, that we didn't know, like all the talk around Skylar DeLong is his inconsistency. And, you know, we made the comment that kind of like Fui on that, he is consistent. <laughs> He's just not punting well. And that there are other guys on the roster, and we didn't name any names, but this is the guy who we were thinking about, that there are other guys on the roster that are nailing the ball in practice, and they're being called inconsistent as well. And so how much more inconsistent can they possibly be? And Schuyler's consistently not, you know, inconsistent. He's consistent just in kicking it short. Uh, Schuyler is. And so the fact that Reichert tried to punt and couldn't, and just you almost just throw your hands up in the air and like, just let the other guy kick because what, you know, it's like, it can't get any worse. Let the other guy kick. And then he goes out there on two occasions and just, you know, JK Scott's the ball. And, and so, uh, you know, Reichert may come back and easing him in to protect, you know, his leg from injury. He may not punt again this season or until, you know, postseason and, and type, and I know, we're, look, we're, I know we're talking special teams here, but uh, I just, the Pirine kid was just, it was just a relevation or, you know, relevation. I say that right. And just in the stands, you could just, I don't even think it was a sarcastic cheer. I think it was an enthusiastic cheer that that punt is what we've been looking for. And then he came out and did it again. Well, it's just a, well, it's, that's what. That's what we needed. Sure. Well, kudos, kudos to the freshman from Prattville, Alabama, uh, you know, the walk-on, because we talk about, you know, when the opportunity presents itself to come in and seize that opportunity, and uh, and kudos to him, you know, because his first one was 42 yards, but his second one was 51 yards. So it's almost like, you know, it's almost like he got lathered up on that second one, right? Because that second one, you know, yep. we were at the 37 line of scrimmage. He He punted at 51 yards. And, um, you know, he punted it all the way to the, to the 12 yard line to, to Tennessee. And so, uh, that right. his second one was, was even better. Um, uh, so kudos, kudos to the freshman. Well, it's one of the, I bet you it's one of those sort of inside stories that, I mean, it'll never make, you know, it'll never be a story, but one of the inside things that like we would love to know is what day during the week, was it Tuesday? Was it Wednesday? Maybe it was Thursday. What day was it last week? Where somebody put their arm around him and said, "We're going to give Riker to go, but if he can't go, you're up." Right? Because he didn't. He he knew that before sure. Saturday. He knew that before they said, "Go out there and kick the ball." Sure. He knew that before then. Absolutely. Well, let's flip the field to to defense. Um, you know, uh, I, I'll I'll start us off here. I, I just wanted to. I just sure. wanted to give. Uh, I can't give him a mini game ball because of who he is, but just kudos to uh, Terrell Lewis. Um, I'm just really happy for the kid. He got to, you know, they interviewed him after the game and, you know, here he is, you know, coming back yet again from injury. Obviously, you know, he's missed a lot of time in Alabama. We, we would have loved to have him in, you know, last year in that, in that run, you know, against Oklahoma and Clemson. And I, I think those would have been different ball games. Um, but you know, his second two sack game in a row since coming back and, um, you know, it was. It was good he was matched up against two true freshman tackles uh, and uh, just just great ball game from him. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have the depth to to get pressure on the quarterback right now. And so we need him and Jennings healthy and uh, just wanted to start with him because he had a he had a second great game coming back from injury. 
So, so Terrell Lewis, like there's, and like, if there was a 30 for 30, like this is what I would want to know about exactly where was the lake house or beach house where three drinks in Belichick and, uh, Belichick and Saban had the conversation that went something like this. Saban, my man, why do you wear out your players when they're already a little bit dinged up? Why don't you just save them for games? You really need them. And, and Saban, you know, this old school, you know, everyone grinds, everyone, you know, and, and, and Belichick just says, you know, if you got a guy that's dinged up, then that, that's sort of a race car, then don't off-road with them. Just save him. And then when, and when, and he goes, look, you know, the template of, uh, you know, the template of your schedule, you're going to be six and oh, seven and oh, eight and oh, before you play anyone of consequence anyways. So save a racehorse. I mean, make sure they're ready, but save a racehorse. And so Terrell Owen, Terrell Lewis is that racehorse, right? And so he's been brought along and he, you know, there's been weeks where he hasn't practiced or Saban was a little skittish on, is he going to play or he's had been held out of practice. And so the A&M game was the first time all season he practiced every day. Well, define practice every day, right? He may have just dressed every day. I don't think he, he, he you know, was grinding hard every practice. And so he's probably going to get a few more reps in practice, but, but, but measured reps, right? And then, and he's going to peak at the right time of the season. Tommy, pick another player in another circumstance in Saban's tenure where we've done something like that. I'll hang up and wait. <laughs> um, I'm with you. We, we definitely um, – well, let me ask you this. Who are you thinking of when you say that? Terrell, Terrell Lewis. Okay, so not another one besides him. No, this year. Oh, no, no it's not like, like this like year. Okay. Years past, no, I'm okay. not, the point is I've never known – we've never known Saban to do okay. that. He's like, if you're healthy, you're going to grind. If you're healthy, you're going to grind. And the big thing about even NFL people will say, when you get Alabama players, they almost all need surgery in the offseason. They almost all, because they just grind the flip yeah. out of them. And, 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 that's a, and look, that, you know, we have built championships on that. And so who's mad at that? But there's also a little bit of temperament that says, hey, let's do 80% of that. And when you have a guy that truly is dinged up and has a history of dinged up, and we all love Terrell Lewis and the career that could have been, let's let him have that in the second half of the season in big ass games where he hasn't he hasn't had a chance to have that. And so his knees and elbows and shoulders and whatever it is, you know, it's operation. Let's let him get to full health when we need him at full health. And we're seeing him sort of blossom. And, and sort of experience some of that health as he's coming up to speed. I mean, we had what two or three last week sacks yeah, and two last week, what another right. this week. Yeah. So he's had, and so what's that two weeks in a row that he's had two, that's two weeks in a row. He said two, two weeks in a row. He's had two sacks. He had a sack in the game before that. So now he's got six sacks on the season. And for the listener real quick, this is the player who his only action of 2017, he came back for the Auburn game. And that was his first time back. But then when he when he got a little more in the groove six weeks later, he was integral in beating Clemson in the semifinal game, okay? And then he was very yep. integral in winning the national championship against Georgia on January the 8th. And so here's a guy who, fortunately for him, you know, he came back for the final three games of the season uh, in 2017. And this is a this is a guy who unfortunately missed all of 2018. So here's a guy who's you know redshirt junior now and, and and sat on the bench all of last year. 
and just a very talented player. Uh, just love the kid's motor and, um, you know, just just really happy for the kid. And and obviously we we need, uh, you know, we this is critical right now. Um, you know, how many how many teams out there, man, could be sitting here, you know, doing what Alabama does with smoke and mirrors with the whole, you know, plugging and playing players kind of deal? Because obviously we've already had a lot of injuries on the, you know, on the front line to start the season. And we don't have much depth to start with. And so, you know, Terrell Lewis coming back right now, you know, to your point, is the perfect time. Uh, because to your point right now, mm-hmm. you know, we've got guys like LeBron Ray who's you know who who's not able to go. Uh, we got other guys out there that that aren't able to give us as many snaps as we like. And um, so just just really just really happy for him. And by the same token, real quick, I'll just I'll just call out Anthony Jennings uh, because once again for the second week yep. in a row, Anthony Jennings is lining up on both the left and the right. Um, there was a couple times, dude, early in the game before we before their quarterback you know came out of the game, there was one formation where he was lined up on the left side and we blitzed both Shane Lee uh, and Harris. Uh, in the in the uh, one and two gaps, and we ask Anthony Jennings to float over into the middle there and to cover uh, to cover the running back, you know, releasing on the safety valve. And so here here we're taking Jennings and we're having him fill the hole vacated by the two true freshmen, who we're just having them go after the quarterback. And so we talked last week about Anthony Jennings is lining up over the nose. He's lining up on the left and the right. Now we've got him lining up in the box. Um, you know, just I'm happy he's healthy and I, I'm happy we're leaning on this red shirt senior uh and and helping him using him to give these teams different looks and just really happy for him as well. Yeah, me too. I think and and you know, along the same token of of let's preserve Lewis and and have him peek it the right way and and certainly something we've talked about on the podcast for years is manufacturing depth, manufacturing depth. We're doing that almost at a at a production level scale this season. When you think about, you know, Masika was playing, uh, Tavita Masika was playing a lot earlier in the game than we've historically seen him play. Uh, Brian Young, uh, Byron Young, uh, I think had three tackles in the game. That's certainly reflective of, of him getting more playing time. Uh, Christian Bar- Barmore is, I think, officially you know, in the rabbit package on third down, when we go to a third down dime and bring in battle, we were consistently bringing in Barmore uh, there as as well. And so that's a a significant number of snaps that he was getting. And so Tommy, when you add that to, you know, the Quan and DJ Dale and Federian Mathis, and then, you know, you think about over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a boy be back uh, sort of at full strength and LeBron Ray back too. And so you start getting those guys back with these guys that are developing strength, and then you've already got the starters. All of a sudden, and we talked about this at the pre, in the preseason, that the names and the talents there at the defensive front, we just have to develop it so that we have a pool beyond four guys. And and this is the manifestation of that. Now I hate that there's injuries sort of contributing, you know, creating the opportunity. But on the flip side of these injured players coming back at full, you know, closer to full strength we've developed this depth that's going to be able to perform. I just like the trajectory of where, where the defensive front is. And I think it will get better. And I think both fronts, we've talked about the offensive front. I think the defensive front is going to continue to get better 
as as more players take reps, get reps, and uh, and then some of the the dinged up players start to. Come oh, out. sure. And you talk about the fact that you know this team lost a five star red shirt freshman who was expected to you know be one of the depth players on the defensive end right before the season started. So yep. once again, how many teams can lose yep. a five star? I can't remember where he was ranked at the position, but in the top five in the country. And so, oh, by the way, you talked about Byron Young. Byron Young started this game. This was his first start of the season. And so, obviously, he mm-hmm, started mm-hmm, due to mm-hmm. due to the, the depth issues. Um, but, you know, kudos to him, you know, another player who, you know, started the game off uh, and looked really good in the action that he got. Um, I want to talk about one other thing real quick. Yeah. Another nuance that I saw uh, for the first time all season is um, Markel Benton got a lot of run, and he specifically got run on third down. And so what was interesting is we've talked about Allen, and we've talked about Shane Lee, and we've talked about the lack of depth, and we've talked about all the the snaps they're getting. Well, that's going to wear on you, right, as the season goes on. So this was the first time all season that on third down – Benton was in by himself. Now, Benton got the opportunity last week when Harris got hurt a little bit to come in, and we had not seen Benton really except in mop-up duty. So you took Shane Lee off the field, Christian Harris off the field on third down on numerous occasions. You had Benton in there uh, sitting in the box next to Xavier McKinney, and you were giving some rest to Shane and Christian Harris. And so I was very excited about that, dude, because that uh, that – we need that just like we need the defensive line position. Well, we really do, and 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 you know, and again, I have a I have a note here that we need to solve for solve for our linebacker, you know, situation. And Markel Benton, you know, Dylan Moses ain't walking through that door, right? And so we need somebody to step into that. And if it's Markel Benton, and even if we take a sub package, like you said, like the like the dime package or the third down package, even if it's a sub package, and you and and that's all Markel Benton practices, as an example. Then he can get more reps at a singular thing in practice, than in mental reps as well as physical, so that he's more prepared to play in those situations in the game. And so you're you're treating him like a puzzle piece at in a particular sort of sub package, as opposed to the position at a whole, which is a bigger plate of food, right? And so I think we have to do that. That's manufacturing the depth. That's what we talk about. And I think when you take a player like Christian Harris and Shane Lee, I like both of them, but there are limitations. And so Christian had eight tackles, but you know he got he got in coverage and and hurt in coverage. I think we gave up a, a score, at least you know a long play. Shane Lee, I love me some Shane Lee, but look at him on the field, even his body type. You can tell he's not a three he's not a four down three down linebacker, and in his He's athletic in the box, but he's not athletic sideline to sideline. He's not athletic in coverage. There's there's a limit to him, right? And you can see it. And you can see it when he was walking on the field. He's not a three-down linebacker. He's not a, a linebacker in coverage down the field against a tight end. He's done that. And we, you know, you could say we've been fortunate that that hasn't been abused. We need somebody that can that can do that. And Markel, I think, now in the box, Markel's not Shane Lee, but in coverage. Shane Lee's not Markel. And so I think there's an opportunity to, and it is exciting. You're right to see that because it's the kind of thing, just like the offense, just like the, the 
defensive line we're talking about, it's the kind of thing that hasn't been in Saban's repertoire. No, it hasn't. And if this is, I know I just, I like the evolution. And I hate to say, you know, I, you know, how arrogant is it for me to say one of the best college coaches in the history of the game, we're seeing an evolution, a progression in his, his coaching. I don't know that I could say anything more arrogant than that, but I don't know that it's wrong. No, but, you know, look at all the rotation in coaches and losing coaches to head coaching positions and all the players leaving early, et cetera, right? I mean, look at all the stuff he has to adapt to. But early in the season, Shane Lee was being asked to be a a three-down back, a three-down linebacker, and we were, you know, manufacturing McKinney next to him, as we talked about. But he was able to, but he was able to do sideline to sideline more because it was Duke and New Mexico State, right? And it was South Carolina and it was Southern Miss, right? And so now as we get deeper in the schedule, the the teams, okay, I don't want Shane Lee to have to go sideline to sideline on third down against LSU, but I was okay with him doing it against Duke and New Mexico State. Right. Duke and New Mexico State, I was okay with that. Now I will tell you in this ball game, that I think Christian Harris got exposed a little bit. He had the most tackles of, of his career in a game. Yep. But that, you know, Tennessee Tennessee has a very good uh, back. I love the physicality that Tim Jordan runs with. And on that 33-yard run where he almost, yes. thank goodness, he didn't get 100 yards for the day. I think Jeremy Pruitt actually could have done that if he would have tried because he finished with 94 yards. But on that yes. 33-yard scamper, you know, we talk about fitting the gaps. And Christian Harris just didn't fit the gap. And um, on the goal line touchdown that they got, uh, the motion was causing problems earlier in the game for Harris, and he wasn't set. And he was actually moving around before the play snapped. And so when they when they actually did the uh, the sneak, they went right where he was supposed to be uh, because he he literally came across Shane Lee in the formation, and he went outside of the tackle. And he wasn't right there where he was supposed to be. And that's where they scored their touchdown early in the game. And so I think this was the first physical, you know, line up and try to run the ball at you kind of deal, which I think is going to be good for Christian Harris in the yep. long in the long term. Um, but I think this was a tough game for him. It, it, it was a tough matchup for him. I'll say it that way. No, it was. I think, I, you know, I'm going to say two things and, and, and they're cut from the same cloth. I think that, you know, this Alabama defense, and I, and I don't want to qualify by if we win a national title or if you know we, whatever. There is a there is graduate level coaching going on, and 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 depth development going on in this defense, and it's it's nuance e and it's in and you know I will pat ourselves on the back for this. It's the kind of thing you don't get anywhere else because there is there is the, the manufacture of depth that we've. And as, for as often as we've used that term and, like, wanted to actually do that, Tommy, I don't know that we've ever seen it like we have this season. And then, and then the connective tissue to that is this defense stands to be outstanding next season. Oh, sure. And, and, and Saban, you know, Saban answered the question uh, in his postgame press conference very well when he talked about Christian Harris and Shane Lee. They have nobody in front of them. Saban said it best. He said he held up three fingers. He said, I had three players coming into this after last season that had experience. He said one went to the NFL and the other two are hurt. He said, Shane Lee and Christian Harris have nobody in practice running reps ahead of them to show them how to do it, to show them nuances, to to help them with this and help them with that and help them in the the film study, et cetera. 
These two guys are being asked to do this first in the rep line at the number one team in the in the country that everybody has you a target on your back every single week. I mean, this is like this is this is the most intense pressure you could possibly get for these two guys. And so to your point, next right. year is going to be a walk in the park compared to what they're going through right this second. What if this is just one of these fanciful moments? What if, and this is this is inside the realm of of reason. What if Mac had come back, Dylan hadn't have gotten hurt, and Joshua hadn't have been hadn't have been hurt either, and they were and they were sneaking in reps around those guys? Oh, yeah. sure, no, absolutely, yeah, no, absolutely, that was that that would be awesome for sure. Um, well, I've got oh, I've got something yeah. else on defense here before you, yeah. so you go ahead. Because obviously seeing Benton uh, at the dime, in the dime formation was great. Uh, what what do you have on defense? No, you go. You go. I've got a couple of things I want to toss out there, but you may want. Well, to what I can do is I can actually save my last one for mini game ball. So go ahead. I'll save my last one for mini game ball. All right. I'm just. I just. I just want to throw out. You know, Maiden had a had a nice interception. That was that was certainly good to see. And then, you know, Tommy, one of the more electric moments in the stadium. And this is partly because we've just been so darn spoiled. Uh, and so you just got to sort of savor these moments, you know, when they come. And But, you know, Tennessee was driving at the goal line to make it a one-score game late in the game. And we're not used to that. And when they fumbled and, and Trayvon picked up the ball and it was a 100-yard run, it was just like it – was, it, was it was like a coming-out moment that you got to see play out as he ran down the field. Just the energy and the electricity in that moment, knowing that they were about to cut it – they were about to cut it to a one-score game, and it's about to be a three-score game. Just the swing, the pivot on that is just – and it's math, right? But it's, it's, it's you know, just the, the – psych- I mean, it was a backbreaker for them, and psychologically it was an exhale. And for all the sort of frustration and angst that, you know, with Tua and just everything that the fans had, there was just a moment where that play just washed it all away. And that was that was as close to a truly authentic electric moment in Bryant Denny than there probably has been in, in a couple no, of No, that is awesome. And 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 he didn't hesitate, right? He knew that there was an opportunity. That's the football savvy no. of knowing uh in the moment that that I've got the corner. And that 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 I can that I can try to make a play here, uh, kind of deal, and and I was very happy for. That's a key. No, that is a key point. No, no, no. Just, go, just the go, fact go that that you know he could have taken a knee and we wouldn't have been mad at it, right? But the fact that he in that moment had his head right. on a swivel and said, "Wait a minute, there's nobody out here to, for them left wide here. There, there's just a tackle." And there's just a tackle in the fullback. And if I get by the tackle, I can outrun the fullback. And so, you know, if he would have gotten tackled at the 30-yard line, hey, you just got us 10 more yards or five more yards, I wouldn't be mad at that. But, you know, he knew there was no chance I was going to not be able to make a play there. And that was just a, a very savvy play on his part. Savvy is exactly right. There's a football intelligence, and there's an expression that you use that I can't think of it right now. But just the, the the IQ of the game that if it's almost like you know you know when it's not there, but you don't know really what the piece of it that's missing. The fact that he scooped up the ball, he didn't stop and look. Oh, is, do I have a green light here? He just he knew he intuitively knew if I can get to the corner, I'm gone. 
He just knew it. There's and 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 that's an innate thing. And and again, it's like you're not. No one's going to talk about that. But had he been a more, had he just paused like for just a split second to see, is it clean? Oh, now I'm going to go, and then you get run over. He just knew, and he was gone. It was no, absolutely. Was and obviously, we talked about you know missing him last year for the second half of the season was key. Um, he he had a pass yes. interference early in the game that he should have known better. He's got to turn and play the ball. We talked about this, but I, I will say that what sticks out to me about Diggs is after he just ran 103 yards, you know, three plays later, he he turns to the ball and they they try to, you know, throw it over his head and he extends his fingers and he barely gets it to knock it out of bounds. Uh but but he saves a, you know, he saves a potential touchdown just a couple plays later. And uh and yeah. so those were two big yeah. moments for him in the in the matter of three plays which was awesome. So um so, so, uh, yes. do you have anything else before we do mini game ball? No, no. All right. So this is not the spirit of mini game ball. You just stole my thunder a minute ago, but just kudos to Jarrett Maiden. Um, I know he's a starter. I know he's, you know, not technically a backup right now, but I think this was his coming out party. In my opinion, I think this was his best all around game of his career. I started to start off the defensive segment with this. Um, his interception was obviously a great heads up play on his part, but he sat there and affected their RPO game on several occasions where, where Shime Carter was, you know, was having to match up against the fifth year senior physical ran his mouth before the game, Jawan Jennings, uh, who is a matchup nightmare for them, Mm -hmm. who was their go-to guy. And, you know, Jared Maiden affected two or three of those plays uh, by what he did. And, um, and he was also just all over the field, uh, you know, for the, for the listener, you know, uh, the, the person who did not benefit from Jared Maiden having his best game of his career was Jordan battle because Jordan battle did not come in the game as much that base dime that we're going to, it kind of went by the wayside, dude. Um, it was, it was more of a base nickel. And they were moving Jared Maiden around, and they were they were comfortable. Um, they were comfortable having him. They were so comfortable with with how they were moving him around that they had him in center field by himself a few times. A few times they were taking Xavier McKinney, and Xavier McKinney was matching up on the fourth receiver right on the line of scrimmage. Like they were comfortable having Xavier McKinney right up on that receiver in press man coverage because of what you know Jared Maiden was doing behind him. And so um, we we saw a lot of base right. nickel in this game, and we saw a lot. Uh, no offense to Jordan Battle, but we just saw a lot more Jared Maiden uh, just because of how mm-hmm. he was playing in the game. No, that's true. We definitely definitely nickel, um, and then you know we we would go to the dime, and, and Battle was in, but but Maiden was was playing so well. I think it's appropriate that you know you sort of called out some of the different things that he was doing, right? Not just in the game, but but lining up in different positions with different responsibilities. And this is where, uh, you know, Maiden's a senior, right? And this is where, uh, you know, he has the opportunity. He knows the defense. He can, he can be put in those positions. And the maturity of probably one of the worst plays we've ever seen Maiden play was last week when he gave up the touchdown. He just let the tight end go. And, you know, that's pitch and catch, you know, with your kids in the backyard, that touchdown was. And, and he sort of, and, and this game, a week later, the rebound, 
that he shows the trust that the coaches had in him um, is really more the demonstration of what he is as a player. And so I'm glad that you not only just rattled them off, but you sort of unpacked that a little bit because because um, I, th- I think that's a that's that's a good no absolutely. Call. Well, give me yours. Who who you're giving your mini game ball to? So I am uh, I am Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. When you cake that mud on you and sort of hide from the Predator, I am just caking on the Tomness of the mini game ball. I am giving Ty P- Pirine uh, my defensive mini game ball. I yes, I just gave the punter both. Of my mini ball. Okay, that's a first, dude. I, I got you doing it on offense, but I don't get you doing it again on defense. Is that just because you didn't have anybody, or you just wanted to try to be an ass with the mini game ball thing? Well, there's there's more of the latter, uh, and then and then, and then technically, punter is okay. more of a defensive right. position. So 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 now that we've already talked about him at length, uh, this will be a shorter special team segment, right? Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, we did kind of unpack a little bit earlier the the the, the punter situation. Um, talk to me very quickly because because we have kind of talked about some of this. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, your your take on maybe the punter situation. You know, maybe the try it on the quad comment. Ha ha, he's a walk on. Uh, you know, he kind of lined up nicely. But uh, talk about Bolova, man. Um, you know, granted, you know, none of his extra points, you know, had to hit the upright to go in, but, um, you know, he, he missed his one opportunity there. Uh, so obviously in a close game, you know, that's, that's still going to be an issue kind of deal. So uh, obviously that's not that, obviously that position, you know, (laughs) do we see somebody else next week, the way we saw the, the freshman from Prattville? Well, we may very well. And and by the way, I have the T-shirt on order that says "Me and Ty Piron tried out on the quad," so that's coming. Um, that's nice. But I, but yes. but 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 but, but Bolova <laughs> had you know he was two I, of two last week. But granted, one was from the one was in the twenty range, one was in the thirty range. So obviously, this is this is his first attempt for the season of trying one over forty yards. And so to be fair, it's his only miss over forty yards this season. But but obviously, we we need a kicker to be able to connect over 40 yards if we're going to go all the way. Well, and that that in it, that in itself is telling, right? He hasn't missed another from 40 yards. Well, I mean, we're not giving him the opportunities. Um he's not getting sort of all of all of those those kicking opportunities and 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 he's missing a lot too. And so that's one of those stats that you know, it's not wrong, but you know, um, it sounds kind of baseball-y, baseball-ishy, right? You know, I was the second leading hitter with men in scoring position, you know, in the second week in April. You know, so it's, it's not... It's well, he's true. three of five. He's, doesn't, he's three doesn't of five. Water, right? He's only attempted five now in the season. He's three of five. Yeah. And so he's perfect, you know, from yeah. 30 to 39. And it just, it seems like right now his range is 30 to 39. And so if we're not going to have Tua for a couple weeks, um, you know, we're going to we're going to be in a situation where we we might see uh we might see them going forward you know in the 40 to 49 range. Well, I think you're exactly right. And I remember, you know, years ago when we lost to um it was a was a 2011 2012 season, 2012 when, you know, you and I rewatched the LSU game 
we lost that game nine to six and we rewatched that game and we looked at all sorts of different stats and we were doing all of that in preparation for the national title game against LSU. And so it became, you know, in, in watching that, it became, you know, self-evident that, man, not only did we just miss a lot of field goals, but we're kicking a lot of field goals from the 35 yard line. And I bet you, we kind of, we said it then talking, you know, talking to one another, we said, you know, another first down and it's a different ball game. And so instead of kicking on third and three on, on the 34, we're going to go for it and we'll get half of those or better. And, and if, and if those start clicking and we're kicking from the 25 instead of the 35, we'll kick, we'll get, you know, the field goals, but we'll also potentially get more touchdowns. And so you and I both agreed, oh, in the rematch, we're going to beat LSU by 10. And, and, you know, and that was the people that I talked to thought we, you know, that we were crazy, but that's sort of something that we observe. And of course that, you know, that happened. And so the point is it's the same, it's, you know, different verse, right? Same song, different verse in that. I don't think we're going to kick a lot of those field goals. I think we are going to go for them. And it almost doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Uh, we're, we're either going to, we're either going to pin them back by virtue of turning the ball over on downs, or we're going to get some of these first downs and we're going to score some, some, some touchdowns. And I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, I think you're right. I think we do go for it and that's going to manifest itself. Not on a, not on a, not on a fourth and three, but it's gonna it's gonna present itself and more aggressively what we do on a third and three, and you know on that on that second and seven that third and three I think it's gonna more aggressively manifest itself on those plays when we get no absolutely um, well it'll be curious to see one other thing real quick on special teams uh, I guess two other quick things number one right after Najee Harris's touchdown run uh, he came down and made the tackle on special teams. So we've talked a bit about this for years with Saban. You know, here's Najee Harris, you know, who yep. is doing what he needs to do for the team. And, and he's running down, and he was so pumped after he made the tackle on special teams on the kickoff after he had just scored a touchdown. And so how many teams have running backs who run for 100 yards on the game and uh, are still on kickoff coverage? So kudos to him. Uh, Jalen Waddell, you know, yep. you know, Tennessee punted to him. And uh, I'll be curious how teams continue to do this because he had a long of 22. Uh, he came into the sea, came into the game number one in the country yep. for his punt return average. And so uh, kudos to him. And and uh, Tennessee did what I didn't think teams would do. I don't think LSU is going to punt to him. I think a couple weeks from now, teams will teams will get this. No, no. I mean, why would you? I mean, you know, there there's no I mean, sense really, in it. Whatsoever. Why would you? Anything else before we uh, right. turn the page to Arkansas? No, no, no. I'm good. Let's uh, let, let's talk Arkansas. All right. So obviously, homecoming game is going to be uh, you know six o'clock night game in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, this is not the Arkansas you know three yards in a cloud of dust who come in and just want to physical exert their will and just run the ball down your throat. You know, this is a team that comes in you know two and five. They've lost four in a row. Um, you know, this is a team that, you know, wasn't able to win at home against San Jose State a couple weeks ago. Um, and so they just lost a close one to Texas A&M. Uh, I do find it interesting that they gave up 27 points to Texas A&M and, and, and we let Texas A&M put 28 points on the board. What do you, how do you think this kind of lines up uh, given the, the current state of this Arkansas program? 
Yeah, I think there's a certain artistry to this season and how the play is unfolding and 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 just the layout of the season is unfolding, you know, with you know, Texas A&M right after a bye and then Tennessee and Arkansas and then, you know, another bye and you know, sort of layer the dynamic of the injury and and all of that over it. It's just I I mean, if you were writing a football story, I don't know that you'd be allowed to do some of this. Um I think it is I I think it's an old <laughs> I think it's an old school blowout. And so by that, I mean, it's probably like 38 to three instead of, you know, 62 to seven, you know? And so I think it's, I think it's a 38 to three. Uh, I would not be surprised if, um, if I would not be surprised if Najee and, and, and really just the lead running back has three touchdowns on the day. Uh, I think we're going to see the offensive line and I think we're going to see the running backs sort of be the star of the show. I think we're going to see Mac. I mean, he's going to throw the ball, but it's going to be more play action, and it's going to be the second step as as opposed to maybe it's been the first step. And so maybe we see a little RPO, but I ju- I just think we're going to see a stronger running game, backfield with with play action, and I think Saban's going to go back and he's like fumbling through his desk drawer, saying, you know, hey, wait a second, I've got a playbook from 2012. Let me let me pull that out and see what we've got. Uh, that we can use. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that. Um, And, and then, but I, but we beat them handily. This is a, this is a bad team. This Arkansas team is a bad team. And I think there's enough on the table um, that it won't be close. All right. So I think this is going to be a game where the margin is going to make teams wring their hands a little bit. Uh, because like the Tennessee game was, you know, only a 22 point spread. Uh, this is going to be days of old where I don't think they let Mac attempt over 20 passes. I think we run the ball 45 to 50 times. I think we have 70 touches on the ball. And so I think this is the old Beebs type of football game that one of yes. our buddies would love. Um, I think we are going to attempt a couple field goals because we're going to be, uh, we're going to be 20, 30 yards away uh, field goal type type of deal. Uh, I think this is going to be a 34 to 10 game, and teams are going to be beside themselves because it's only 34 to 10. Um, yep. But I think this is going to be a game where we we have the ball 40 minutes in the game, and 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 if, if, if fans don't enjoy running, they're going to get bored in this game. Well, I agree with that. And you, and you mentioned it before I had a chance to. I, w- I was going to come back and say, if you squint just right, you might see Stallings on the sideline. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this will be a game that will be good for Max confidence uh, because I think we're going to start the LSU game with Mac Jones at quarterback. Oh, now wait a second. You just broke something there. What? Say that again? I didn't hear that right. I, I, that I don't I don't think I don't I don't think it's realistic to expect Tua um to come back in 20 days. The story might be that way, and and they might have teams preparing the LSU, you know, preparing for that in the bye week. But I, I don't think it's realistic to expect Tua to play the whole game against LSU only twenty days after his surgery Sunday morning. Well, that's interesting. So let me ask you this, because I because I've I've been thinking of this, and we can and we can and we can. And we can do a show in the bye week where we obviously expand on this for the listeners. I didn't mean to say this at the end of the show, but I just I I don't know that we see him 
you know, because last year when he came back, he said he was 80% against Oklahoma, and that was 29 days later. I just I'm yeah. I'm just be I'm just being realistic that there's there's more games left to play. And so if we come out in Arkansas and we establish the run and we find some little conservative 2012 playbook formula that works, then we might come into LSU prepared them prepared for the air attack and the RPO. And we might just line up and try to just punch them in the mouth and just get away with a close game because after that it's Mississippi State and Western Carolina. You get what I'm saying? And if we if we yeah. get past that game, then we, we got some time for him to get healthy. That's all I'm saying. That, that is a little bit of the that is a little bit Bill Belichick in right where don't worry about everything else. Just go win this game and whatever it takes, whatever sort of thing you have to sort of invent to do that. Just win this one and then do that again next week. As opposed to we have this tapestry that 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 you know we're going to build something in in August that is the offense for the season. Belichick's like, I'll give you two games early because I'm figuring this shit out. And by the end of the season, I can do whatever I want to on any given week. And so there, I wonder if there's not a little bit of that. Because one of the things I, and maybe we do need that, this is a sort of a separate show. One of the things I thought about, and, and I thought, well, is this too sort of Pollyannish? Is, you know, by Mike Jones having an opportunity, you know, we're going to build an offense around him this week. And then, you know, if Tua comes back, and then, then you're looking at, I've got two offenses now. I've got two sort of off-the-shelf options that we can go to. And, and you sort of jumped into that with both feet, saying, you know, that you think, you know, Max starts. So I think there's something there. I think we, I think we probably need to have that conversation. Oh, absolutely, because LSU is going to beat Auburn, and LSU is going to come in ranked number two. And so my point is, is if you win that game 12-9, to nine, it's not like you're going to drop in the rankings. You just beat the number no, two team no. in the country. You win by a point, no. two points, three points, who cares? That's all I'm saying. So yeah, well, I think you're right. I think you're right, and so I I think let's not have that conversation now because a week from now we'll know more. Right? Absolutely, we'll know more sure. about them, and we'll know more about sure a Mac. And so I think yeah. that's a hell of a conversation to have. You know, absolutely. From now. Absolutely. So and and so uh, we can we can definitely do that. Well, man, take us home. Hey, one super cool thing at the very end of last of the last game. Uh, uh, I'm standing in the stands with, uh, with, uh, a new bus, best friend, Alan from Mobile. And we're standing in the stands and we're enjoying a cigar and we're listening to Saban's post, uh, 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 post game. And this, uh, this older gentleman walks by and he asked if we have an extra cigar. And of course we have an extra cigar. So we hand it to him. And then I go to ask, would you, I've got a lighter. Can I help light that? And he, and he, um, and he, and he takes it and he puts it in his bag and it looks like he's got all kinds of stuff that he's sort of collected in his bag. And he says, no, if you don't mind, I just want this as a souvenir from the game. I said, absolutely. What am I going to do with it? Absolutely. And then he looks back up and he goes, would you believe this is my 600th consecutive Alabama game? And I'm just like, no. And he said he started attending games in, in the nineties and, or I'm sorry, in the seventies. And, um, and, and so I got his information. I'm, I'm hoping maybe do a little interview because I, that's pretty cool. Right. And sure. so Tommy, he's the guy, He's the guy, and, and you and I have sort of pointed to people, this is the guy that we want to be when we grow up. And so um, I think, uh, you know, neither of us will have a 600-game streak. Right. Uh, but, damn it, that's interesting. And uh, I think um, I think he might be someone that we try to have a conversation with because I think he's probably got some interesting stories to tell. Absolutely, man. That would definitely be a, a good call on our part to to be able to uh, to talk to him more and, and, and find out some of the, the backstory for sure. 
Absolutely. All right. So why don't you take us out now? All right, guys. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.